Uh, why don't you get your Bibles out and open them up with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one uh, right there where you're seated. Open it up to Genesis chapter 13. We are in our series called Family Trip, and we're just looking at what does God say about the family. And last week, we looked at the God's vision for the family, but this week, we're going to talk about a topic that affects every family, that touches every family, and that is the topic of conflict. You know, there's no such thing as a conflict-free family. Every family has conflict. Uh, if you're breathing, you, the chances you're going to have conflict are really high, all right, because we all have it, and yet many times we don't know how to resolve our conflicts in our home. We struggle with it. Uh, I tell you what, I've been a pastor for, gosh, uh, in ministry for almost 29 years. I know I look like I'm so much younger, uh, but I was hoping for an amen or a whatever. Anyway, never forget. Anyway, too late. A anyway, and, uh, and, and, and most of that time, when I counsel with somebody, it has to do with conflict. Either a conflict between a husband and a wife, or conflict between parents and a child, or conflict between two uh, uh, siblings, or uh, maybe conflict with a friend, or conflict with somebody at work, or conflict within the church. There, there's all, I would say the majority of the time I'm counseling with somebody, it's wrapped around some conflict issue. And I think the reason is because we don't really do conflict very well. We don't know how to handle conflict very well. Uh, we, we didn't really grow up being taught by our parents how to have healthy conflict resolution. I mean, you saw conflict happen, but maybe you didn't see it ha happen in a healthy way, or they didn't sit you down and say, this is what you do. Uh, you didn't take it in high school, conflict resolution 101. You didn't take the seminar in college. Uh, you, you really probably didn't get any training in your career-wise. I mean, there was conflict, and you dealt with it, but, but it wasn't done in a way that was restorative. And so we don't really know how to do conflict very well. And so what we're going to do today is just talk about how do you resolve conflict in your home. And we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 13. We're looking at the story of Abraham and Abraham's family. And so we're going to look at his example. We're going to learn out of God's word uh, some basic, really practical things on resolving conflict in your family. Uh, so turn Genesis 13. Uh, let me kind of catch you up to speed. Abraham has now brought his family into the promised land and God's promised him that all this land is his. Uh, then there's a drought. So Abraham has to go into Egypt for a period of time to, to be supplied during the drought. But now he's back in the promised land. And uh, as soon as they get back settled in, uh, conflict happens. So let's look at it uh, beginning at verse 5. This is the word of God. And Lot, who was with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. All right, so there is a, uh, a conflict between Abraham and his nephew Lot. His nephew had uh, a lot of considerable herds and employees and a sprawling uh, business. And Abraham, of course, had lots of possessions and so on as, as well. And so they're kind of all fighting over the same piece of land. And, and it's just, there's too much. There's too many of them. And so they start arguing over wells and pastures and, and who didn't do what and so on. And so uh, a conflict 
boils up. In fact, if you look at the word there, it says there was strife. In verse 7, the Hebrew word reeb uh, means dispute, fight, quarrel. It was on, all right? It was on. Now, nobody got up that morning and said, I'm going to start a fight, all right? Probably doesn't happen in that way in your house either. Most likely, people will start like, wake up, man, I'm just going to let them have it today. I'm going I'm to really mix it up. Unless you have a two-year-old, they probably didn't think that, all right? Two-year-olds might uh, wake up in the morning like that. But, but the conflict just brewed up, right? It just kind of just hit a point. Nobody thought about it. It just came up. That's the way it happens in our homes, that conflict just happens, all right? We're, we're late. We get in, get in the car, and somebody does something to somebody, and it's on, all right? Sometimes it's on right out, right out of the chute, and it's that way all day. But we have conflict. And so how do we deal with the conflict? Romans 12, 17 says this. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The Apostle Paul is writing these words, and he said, listen, if it's possible, live at peace with all people. Now, that, there's two sides to that. Part one side of it is there are going to be some people you just can't live at peace with. I mean, you want to, you want to reconcile, you want to, you want to have the relationship restored, but there's a conflict, and that person is not willing to come to the table. They're not willing to talk. They're not willing to forgive. They're not willing to move toward you. And so, at some point, there's, you've done all that you can do. If it's possible, live at peace with them. But the other side of the coin is this, there are some things that depend on you. And there are some things that you need to do to really reach out to try to restore a relationship. And so that's what we're talking about here. What are some things that we need to do to restore a relationship? Why is it so important? It's important because unresolved conflict, unresolved conflict really takes a toll on your life. It takes a toll on your life. It takes a toll on your spiritual life. You know, the Bible says that you cannot say you love God and hate someone else. Can't do it. First John 4 says, you, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. John just calls it right out. You can't, you can't have it if you're so sideways, you hate this person, but yet you claim to love God. You can't do it. In fact, in 1 Peter, it te- Peter talks to husbands and he says, love your wife, deal with them in an understanding way, treat them with honor so that your prayers are not hindered. In other words, if you're sideways with your wife, then your prayers are going to be hindered. So, so it, it really takes a toll on your spiritual life. And I've known people that had unresolved conflict so much that their own walk with God begins to shrivel up because it just takes a toll on your spiritual life. It also takes a toll on your family. If you have unresolved conflict in your family and it just brews and seeds and continues, then what happens is that gets passed off to the next generation and they don't know how to resolve conflict. And so they blow up and then that passes on to the next generation and they blow up and the next generation. And what you look over your shoulder and you see generation after generation that nobody could stay together, nobody could live together, nobody could make up and live at peace. And what you're passing on is this this legacy of conflict that's unresolved and traumatic to a family line. And you may come from a family like that that's been broken relationship and broken family after broken family after broken family. That's because unresolved conflict takes a toll on the family. And, and also it just takes a toll on your, on your health and your happiness. I mean, you just can't be happy and healthy as a person if you constantly have unresolved conflict. I mean, it eats away you on the inside. You end up becoming a, a person that's bitter and angry and, and alienating all the people around you when you have unresolved 
conflict. Listen, we live in a broken world. Would you agree with that? We, our world is broken. And when you, when you have a guy go into another school this week and shoot up more innocent people, and today I have pastor friends that are preaching in churches not far from that school that I call, I texted them last night, said, I'm praying for you and what you're going to say to those people. It just reiterates the desperation that we have of the inability to resolve our conflict in a way that's healthy and whole. So we, we, we got to get our arms around resolving conflict. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he said this, blessed are the peacemakers for they are called the children of God. In other words, he didn't say blessed are the peace lovers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. And it's one thing to love peace and want peace, but it's another thing to work, to have peace, to make peace. And to make peace is hard work. And that's what we're talking about today. How do I make peace in my home? How do I make peace with my children? How do I make peace with my parents? How do I make sure that our home is a home of peace? And so I'm going to give you just some very practical things this morning to do. And I'm praying that if you're in a conflict right now, or there's some things that are unresolved in your home, that this will, God will give you the courage to, to work those things out and to put these principles into practice in your life. So I'm going to give you some things. I want you to write these down. Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you four elements, four steps to resolving conflict in your home. The first thing is this. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. What you look at verse 8. Genesis 13, verse 8. They've got this conflict, right, that's brewed up. Verse 8, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. In other words, Abraham said, look, Lot, there's no reason for us to be fighting over this. We're, we're family, right? So, so let's solve this problem. Abraham took the initiative. The wiser one took the initiative. Now, Lot had the same problem, but he didn't take the initiative. So it was the wiser person that initiates resolving the conflict. Listen, uh, conflict just doesn't resolve on its own. Conflict is like an infection in your body. It doesn't just get better. You have to do something to resolve it. And so the way to deal with conflict is to deal with the conflict, all right? Uh, the way to deal with conflict is to deal with the conflict. And that means that you talk about it, you talk it through, you sit down, you have a face-to-face -face meeting, and, and you work it out. And I know a lot of people that they just do not want to do that. We, in and of ourselves, listen, it's natural to not want to have a sit-down meeting that's confrontational, all right? Nobody likes that. I don't like it. If you, there may be a few people that like it, but most of us don't do it. And, if, and we're scared. We, you know, we, you know, your blood pressure goes up. You know, you're not sure how it's going to turn out. You think it might turn out worse than better. And, 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 and so you don't know how it's going to play out. And so we just avoid almost at all costs. We would almost see the relationship dissolve than to sit down and just talk things through. And we're so quick to draw lines and dismiss relationships instead of just doing the work of resolving the conflict. In fact, instead of having a sit-down meeting, we tend to fall into one of five dysfunctional ways of handling conflict, right? I'm going to give them to you very quickly and, and see which one of these you tend to fall into, right? These are five ways to not resolve it. First one is to diminish the problem. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's not that big a deal. And you know it's a big deal, and you know it bothers you, but you say it's not that big a deal, so you don't have the confrontation. 
You diminish the problem. Number two, you deflect the problem. Well, I'm not going to go to that person. If they want to resolve it, they can come to me. They know where my address is. They know what my number is. They should be coming to me. I don't need to go to them. And so I deflect the responsibility onto somebody else instead of me owning it and, and initiating resolution. Number three, deny the problem. What problem? You know, this is, this is when someone's going on in your home and you know what's going on in your home, but you don't want to deal with it, so you just ignore it. You act like it's not there and hope that it goes away. And you chalk it up to, well, that's just the way it is in families, or that's the way he is, or that's the way she is. Instead of really dealing with what is actually happening, you deny the problem. Number four is delay the problem. I'll get to that. I'll talk it through later. Not this weekend, maybe next weekend. Not now, maybe another time. Maybe when they come back home. Maybe when they go back to their own place. You know, we always have some time in the future we're going to deal with the problem, but we're really kicking the can down the road because we just don't want to have the conversation. And then the last one, which is probably the most common, is to dodge the problem. And that is just to say, I'm not going to deal with it. I know I need to, I know the Bible says, I know, know what Scripture tells me to do, but I'm just not going to do it because I, I don't want to say something I shouldn't or I, I'm afraid how it'll go or whatever the excuse is. I'm dodging the clear responsibility from Scripture to deal with it. Jesus tells us what to do when we have a conflict, all right? It's, it's not an ambiguous passage. It's not controversial. There are no uh, Greek or Hebrew words that are, uh, could be translated in different ways. It's very clear what Jesus tells us to do. Matthew chapter 5, he says this, If you are offering your gift to the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. In other words, he said, if you're in church and all of a sudden you realize, man, I'm sideways with my father-in-law, I'm not doing really good with my my son, I'm at odds with my wife, he said, the best thing to do is to slip out and go make that right. Go for coffee, go go sit down, go to a park, go work this thing out, go to your brother, go to your sister. It's always face-to-face, it's life-to-life. It's working it out. It's not by text. It's not by messenger. It's not by, a, a, you know, an email. Uh, it's easy to sit behind a, a, a glass screen and, and, and lambast somebody. It's a whole other thing to sit there face to face and deal with the problems that need to be dealt with. And so it's always face to face. And Jesus said, go to your brother. Now, you say, well, that's really hard to do, Craig. I mean, I don't like to do that. Well, I'm with you. I don't like to do it either. But I'm uh, obligated to do it. And that's the only way to get to a healthy place. Now, let me give you a couple of things about having that meeting. If you're going to have that meeting, three things I want you to remember. First off, you need to choose the right time. Ladies, try not to have the conversation with your husband in the middle of the basketball game, all right? Or in the middle of the football game. Or in the middle when he's in the middle of a project. Uh, Try to choose the timing that's right, when you're at your best and he's at his best and, and you can have a, a conversation. Number two, pick the right place. Don't do it in a public place. Don't do it in a place where you're gonna be interrupted. Try to pick a, an environment where you can sit down and have a conversation, you can pray together and, and, and it's going to be a comfortable place that you won't be interrupted. But more importantly, the right time and the right place is the right attitude. Pick the right attitude. Have the attitude like Abraham. I love how Abraham handles his conflict. He goes to Lot and he goes, Lot, man, we don't need to be sideways on this. We're, we're kinsmen. We're family, right? Our relationship matters more than this 
weird thing about cattle. Who cares about that? Let's solve the problem because our relationship is what really matters. And so many times we will split the sheets over things that really don't matter. Instead of just saying, listen, hey, our relationship is priority number one. This is what matters to me. So let's just, let's just solve this thing because I don't want anything between us. And if you go to your, that person that you're having a conflict with and say, listen, I love you. I love you. And what matters more to me in this world is our marriage. Or what matters more to me in this world is our family. Or what matters more to me is my relationship with you as my son or my daughter. There's not anything more important than that. Nothing. And, and when I see some issue creep up that creates a wedge between us, I got to get that out. Because I want us to be okay. I want us to be great. See, that kind of attitude helps to invite that kind of conversation. So you've got to take the initiative. Listen, it takes courage to resolve conflict. It takes courage. It's easy to ignore it. It, it, It's easy to run. It's easy to make excuses, but it takes courage to make the phone call and have the conversation and work it through. So take the initiative. Number two, jot this down. A lead with humility. Lead with humility. Look at verse 9. Back to, back to Abraham. It is not the whole land before you? He said to Lot. Uh, separate yourself from me. And if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. In other words, he said, listen, uh, Lot, here's a, we can't all coexist in this one piece of property. So you pick the one you want to go to, and I'll just take the other one. Now, what I want you to notice is Abraham's humility in that. Abraham could have said, listen, I'm the oldest one. I was the one taking care of you. And so this is how it's going to play out. I'm going to do this, and then you're going to get that little piece over there. All right? And you better not come over to my spot. I mean, he could have done that. He had the authority and the power to do that. And yet he chose humility and to let Lot pick whatever he wanted. That is incredibly humble. That is a humble posture that doesn't demand his way, demand what he has, or that Lot comply with his demands, but that he is humbling himself to let the other one defer to the other one's needs. Now listen, if you want to resolve conflict, you have to lead with humility. I want you to listen to this this phrase. Selfishness fuels conflict, but humility diffuses conflict. If you say, well, this is the way it's going to be, and it's my way, and you've got to get, it, get this right. This is how it's going to be in this house. If you lead with that, uh, it's just going to fuel more conflict. You're, you're going to back them into a corner where they have no other option but to fight their way out. But if you lead with humility, then all of a sudden it just, it just goes away. Uh, conflict diffuses. So how can you lead with humility? I'll give you a couple of really practical things. Here's the first one. If you want to lead with humility, take an inventory first. Look at yourself in the mirror. Go before God and say, God, I want you to search my heart. Am I okay in this situation? Where is it that I'm missing it? Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will be well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In other words, go before God and say, God, am I being demanding here? Am I being selfish Am I, or do I have um, way too high an expectation here? Am I contributing to this problem? How, God, am I contributing to this problem? What have I done that's allowed us to get to this point? 
And, and when you begin with that, you're humbling yourself. You're admitting that you're not perfect and that, that you're probably contributing in some way and you're asking God to reveal that to you. That's a very important thing to take, the, take this inventory and ask God to reveal to you what you've contributed. Number two, be gentle. If you're going to be humble, be gentle. When you talk with that person, you don't leave with your chest out and an aggressive tone, uh, you're gentle. I remember when Liz and I were newly married and, and uh, we would have a conversation. You may have had a conversation similar like this. I would say, uh, what's the matter? And she would say, nothing, right? And I would say, well, obviously there's something wrong. What's the matter? Nothing. And then I would, in all my spiritual maturity, I would say, well, of course there's something. Right? Why are you saying nothing? There's obviously something. You're not talking to me. There's obviously, and I would just, you know, and I would, I would just start getting animated, you know, and, and frustrated and expressing my frustration. And of course, that's not helping my wife have any kind of, con- I mean, it's over as far as the conversation goes. She's clammed up, shut down. And what I, I, one time we were doing this and it was almost like the spirit of God just spoke to me in that moment. He said, Craig, stop it. Stop it. Enough with this. Don't you realize your tone is aggressive? You need to stop that. What I learned, guys, I'll just give you a little tip here. What I learned is when your wife says nothing, it doesn't mean that there's nothing, right? There is certainly something. What she's saying is there's nothing I feel comfortable sharing with you right now because I don't know how you're going to respond. There's nothing I can say right now because the way that you're all animated, the way that you're worked up, I'm not going to offer this to you because you're just going to walk all over it. You're going to lambast it or you're going to react. And what I learned is that when I would get soft and I would get gentle in my tone and my words, then all of a sudden she opened up and she was able to share that thing that's in her heart. She wants to share it. She wants to get it out there. She needs to share it. She needs to get it out, but she needs a gentle, safe environment in which to share this problem that's in her heart. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. If you want to turn away wrath in your home, if you if you if your spouse barks at you as something aggressive, you go, oh yeah, well you, know, you bark it back. You're just going to accelerate this problem. But if you turn with a gentle answer. It turns away wrath. It diffuses. It's a position of humility when you're gentle. It's humility when you're soft. Another way to be humble, get this, is to own your own part of the problem. To own your own part of the problem. When God shows you, maybe when you have the conversation, uh, you don't lead off, well, you know, we have some things to do because you do this and 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 you're leading with all the things that they've done wrong. All you're going to do is just shut them off. But what if you start off going this way, hey, baby, I know that things are kind of tense in our home, and you matter more to me than anything in the world, and our marriage matters more, and our kids and our family matter more to me, and I don't want that. And you know what? I've really been asking God to show me how we've got to this point, and you know, God's really shown me some things that I have done to contribute to this, where we are right now. And and I've acted selfish. And I've acted my own way. And I've responded in ways that were not healthy. Do you, do you understand how humble those words are? That you're leading with your own contribution to the problem. Listen, words that will just almost readily diffuse a conflict are these words, I'm sorry. I was just acting selfish. I don't know how many times that, that uh, you know, I've 
conflict has brewed up in our house, and, and uh, you know, I would say, or Liz would say, or one of our girls would say, you know, I'm sorry, I just shouldn't have done that. I, I was just acting selfish. And it's like all of a sudden it just diffuses the whole situation. But as Mar- if we're defending ourselves and we explain ourselves and we try to dominate, that's when the conflict never gets resolved. So humility is integral and, and essential to conflict resolution. And then one other thing, just to humble yourself, here's one more thing. Listen more and speak less. Listen more and speak less. Psalm, uh, I mean, James 119 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen, listen to what they're saying. Listen to understand where they're coming from. Listen for their hurts. Listen for their disappointments. Listen for their frustrations. Repeat back to them what they said so that they know that you heard them well. Listen. So many times we're not listening in a conflict. We're just trying to gear up for our next rebuttal to what they just said. We're trying to win. But listen, you can win the argument and you can lose the relationship. You can win the fight and you can lose the war. And if your goal is for healthy families, then you've got to move past trying to win the fight. And you've got to listen and hear what that person is saying. When you humble yourself, you're right where God wants you to be. You know why? Because the scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes you when you're in the marriage and you're telling, this is what it's going to be. And I don't make, I don't, I'm never wrong. And, and it was their problem and, and defending, defending, defending. Uh, God opposes that. But he gives you grace when you admit your failures and you're humble and you're gentle and you listen. That's when God shows up and he does something special in that conflict. He brings something good out of it. So take the initiative, lead with humility. Here's another thing, fix the problem and not the blame. Fix the problem and not the blame. Look at verse 10. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar, uh, which is the, uh, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, uh, Abraham said, choose whatever you want. And Lot said, man, I, I'm going to take this really good piece right over here. I'm going to take this great piece of property. And Abraham was okay with it. Abraham did not in any situation fix the blame on Lot. He didn't say, Lot, you know what your problem is? Uh, you're so immature. And Lot, you, you always try to take this, and you always try to take the best thing, and you only think of yourself, and you're, you're so selfish. I mean, you could, he could have said that, right? Because Lot was picking the best piece of property, the best fields, the best watering holes. He was picking all of it right. But Abraham never blames Lot one time for the problem, not once. He never said, you, never. He said, well, just pick whatever you want, I'll take the other. And he, he created an opportunity, a solution to fix the problem. Now listen, most of us, what happens is this. We, we get into an argument, we have a conflict, and we are fixated on putting the blame on the other person. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done marriage counseling, that, well, he did this, and he did that, and he acted that way, and he said this, and he did it, and it's just he, he, he. Or, and then you talk to him, and you go, well, she said, she, she, you know, and they're just talking right past each other because all they can see is the fault of the other. 
Or if the conflict says, well, you always, or you never, or you in this way, or if you weren't that way, if you were out of the picture, this would be a whole lot better. And we, we tend to vilify the other person. But here's the deal. You will never get to conflict resolution that way. That just divides. That's what Satan loves. When Satan hears that in your home, he dances. He dances when he sees that in your home. Instead of fixing the blame on the other person and vilifying, you need to fix the problem. So what does it look like if I'm fixing the blame and not the problem? What it looks like is angry words, hostile words. Bible says, um, Proverbs uh, 12, 18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. You've heard of WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. Well, there are WMDs in your home, words of mass destruction. Words that are blaming words, that are name calling, uh, uh, hostile words, uh, words about divorce, or we should have never married, or I don't love you anymore, or, or you're such an idiot, or, or you know, just that kind of thing. Uh, words that are hostile. Uh, profane words. These are words of mass destruction. They just, they, they, they are used to wipe out the enemy, but they never used to resolve a conflict. You need to stay away from that. Listen, little people belittle people. Little people belittle people. You're, you show how small you are when you label and blame and, and talk to somebody like so how do I know if I'm fixing the problem and not the person? Uh, or I'm, I'm uh, you know, fixing the problem and not the person. Or how do I do that? Well, that's when you are speaking truth with love and you're offering solutions. Listen, when you speak truth, you're gentle, you're soft, you're doing what we talked about earlier. You're admitting your own need, your own problems. And then you say, hey, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? Just like Abraham, he, he offered solutions. Are you bringing solutions to your conflict? Are you just vilifying the other person and being mad? That's what we tend to do. That, that's what divides us. We've got to offer solutions, not blame. Hebrew, uh, uh, Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. So are your words good and are they helpful? Do they help get you on track? I remember one time, Liz and I was, were having a conflict. Again, these were kind of early in our marriage. And, and we were just kind of saying to you and you, yeah, you, but yeah, you. And we were going at it. And I remember at one point, we just stopped. And I said, look, I love you. <laughs> I really do. I love you. But there's this problem. So let's put this problem over here. And now, could you and I work together to fix that problem? Let's, let's pray together. Let's come up with some great plans. We're smart people. We can figure this out. Let's come up with a great plan that fixes that problem so that problem goes away. Can we do that? She said, yeah, we can do that. That's fixing the problem and not the blame. Let me give you one more thing. You've got to trust God to meet your needs. Trust God to meet your needs. Look down at verse 14. As the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. 
And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled the oaks of Mamre, which is at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. I love what he did. Uh, here is Abram, all right? He takes the initiative. He uh, assumes a humble posture, right, with, with this conflict. He fixes the problem. He offers a solution. He fixes the problem. And then he takes Lot's leftovers, right? Now, all the places Lot didn't want, he takes Lot's leftovers. And God says, let's take for a walk. Let's go for a walk. So he walks. He says, I want you to look. Look all the way up to the north. Look all the way south, east and west. Let's walk around this place. I'm going to give all this land to you. And not only am I going to give it to you, I'm going to give it to your son. Not only to your son, I'm going to give it to your offspring. Not only to your offspring, to your descendants that will be so numerous. You, it's like trying to count a grains of sand on the beach. That's what I'm going to give to you. I'm, I'm going to give you all of this, Abraham, because you have trusted me. I'm going to take what Lot thought wasn't very good, and I'm going to make it a huge blessing. I'm just going to bless you. Listen, folks, that's what God will do in your family. If you will take the initiative. If you will be humble, if you'll own up to your own, own stuff, if you will, instead of blaming, you will work to solve the problems, and you will trust God in and through it, even when that other person doesn't respond the way you want them to, if you will do what is right, then God will bless you. He can take that drought of a marriage, and he can make it an oasis. He can breathe new life into your marriage again. You might think it's dead and there's no love in it anymore, but God can breathe new life into your marriage. He can restore that wayward child. He can restore that friendship again. God can do anything, and God will do it as we walk with him and as we resolve our conflicts the way God wants us to resolve them. Listen, God doesn't, there's no need for conflict to take a toll on your home. God wants to bring resolution and bring peace.